Live from Beit Shemesh and broadcasted around the world. You are listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Nahum Kligman. Interviews and advice from Jewish entrepreneurs from around the world. Listen, learn, be Masliach. Okay, so now I got to uh, learn a little bit about you. I'll just tell you all a little bit about myself. My name is Nathan Kligman, uh, originally from Sake, New Jersey, Ben Aliyah, on the very first Nefesh Nefesh flight back in 2002. Anybody here heard of Nefesh Nefesh? Everybody? Yeah, they're pretty good at the, at the branding, pretty good at what they do, customer service, the branding, their unique selling proposition, they got but everything. But they don't help anyone if you're from Australia or something. Not yet. Well, yeah. They get to you. Uh, so I was on the very first flight. My son, who was born on September 11, 2002, uh, was the very first Nefesh baby out of uh, thousands and thousands right now. Um, so that's, my, that's one of my claims to fame. But I've been an entrepreneur since I've been a young kid, you know, shoveling the snow for $5 an hour, uh, selling baseball cards, uh, doing trade shows at a young age, working in all the local restaurants and catering. Uh, everything to make a buck, that was my, my big thing. High school, I had a candy locker that got shut down because I was making more money than the teachers. <laughs> they didn't like that too much, right? And then, uh, long story short, I ended up in uh, Eretzrael, went to Yeshiva Home and Sion and Telstone. I was supposed to go for a year, ended up being five years. I uh, opened up the first and last pizza shop, Amrachov Neasharim. It, it took a lot to get them to agree, and after me they said never again. So uh, that was an incredible experience. Um, some of that I talk about in my book, Always Be Selling, no, just, uh, from Entrepreneur. Um, and, then, uh, and then after five years I went back to America, and I said, hey, you know, I'm not going to work with somebody, I want to start a business, uh, and I subscribed basically to Entrepreneur Magazine, Inc. Magazine. I, mean, I went to all the, I got a whole bunch of magazines, started filling out all those little forms in the back about like, you know, how do, uh, you know, what's the, what, you know, business opportunities, right? And I must have gotten like 30 packages over a week with videotapes and with catalogs and sell this and do this and do that. And I came across uh, promotional marketing, uh, which is selling products with uh, your, your names and logos on them. And I love that because I love being creative. And I know people love to see their logo on their products and services. So I said, how hard could that be? Uh, I was living by my parents, that was great, so I would go make a sale, make a couple thousand dollars, not work for three weeks, you know, decided to need more money, work, make another sale, didn't take it so seriously, but then uh, you get married, right, and then all of a sudden you have to take things a little more seriously. Uh, so I expanded that business, but then I had an idea for a startup. Um, my first high-tech startup went from being a, like a, a smaller type of uh, business person to uh, running, uh, running meetings in the top of the Empire State Building, with like 10 people around me. Um, I was, I guess, 26, 27. It was an incredible experience, but what I wanted to do was illegal, so yeah, I shut it down. Yeah, you gotta check the league. The truth is, it was, it, it was the, the office I was using was a lawyer's office. I had these, these uh, incredible law firm that took 6% of my company to do the legal work. And after raising money and after getting everybody excited, and after three months, they spent tens of thousands of dollars in legal work, and they said what they wanted to do wasn't exactly legal. In a nutshell, it was just basically putting um, uh, Chinese auctions online. And it was a win-win situation for everybody. Ford donates a card to the American Red Cross, right? and we as a platform take a percentage. So Ford gets a tax write-off and gets free publicity. The, the nonprofit gets all the money. You guys know how it works, right? 
and then a consumer could pay five dollars as a chance to win a car, but also making a donation. We as a platform take fifteen percent. It was a perfect, the perfect storm, win, win, win for everyone. But it was considered gambling because anytime, even though it's for altruistic reasons, even though you're trying to support an organization, um, it was. Uh, they said anytime you're putting the money for the chance to win something is considered uh, gambling, and there was no real way to get around it besides going offshore, and that was like an impossibility. So uh, that closed down. But then. So I, after that, uh, I went back into um, promotional marketing. I bought a franchise called Adventures in Advertising, which is a franchise in the promotional marketing industry. Uh, fantastic, they, you get better pricing, they take care of the ordering, you just concentrate on sales uh, and, and the customers, and that was fantastic. And then in September 11, 2001, from my apartment in Passaic, I was able to see the, the World Trade Center on fire. And I said to my wife, I said, I think there's a sign, we gotta move there to straw. Um, you know, the world changed on that day forever, and we just had this feeling like, hey, we got to be, we got to be, we got to come home. Uh, so I called the franchise, I, I, the CEO of the company, uh, and I said, hey, this, I emailed them, I said, listen, you know, can I, can I want to move to Israel and be like the first franchisee in Israel, and I can work the whole Middle East. I don't know outside what I was thinking outside of Israel. I was going to work in the Middle East, but <laughs> I figured it start. I figured it sounded good, you know, the Middle East, you know, franchisee. So. He says, not a problem, that's great, you have a full support, fantastic, fantastic. So I did the whole logo in Hebrew, got a whole bunch of chapstickers made up with the, with the Hebrew logo on it, right? And it was, um, uh, and I moved to Israel on that first Nebuchadnezzar flight. And it was so exciting, you know, to be here, and, and there's like a whole new world, and just, anyway, after two weeks, finally I set myself up, and I placed an order for my clients, a t-shirt order, and uh, my printer calls me up, or emails me, whatever it was, and said, hey, we never got the t-shirts. I said, okay, I called, the, I called the manufacturer. I said, why didn't you send the t-shirt to my printer? He said, oh, your order's on hold. You have to speak to corporate. I called corporate. I said, hey, how come my shirts are on hold? How come they're not going through? They said, oh, um, you're not allowed to legally operate your franchise outside of the United States. <coughs> I said, but your CEO told me that I could and that you know it, it, I have his full backing and support. Well, the CEO likes to talk, you know, everything like that, but he didn't know the legalities and all this stuff. I said, you mean, this is 2002, I said, you mean I moved my family 6,000 miles away into the middle of a war zone in order to run this business, and you tell me I can't run my business from here? They said, that's correct. I said, I'll see you in court, right? I had the emails from the CEO, I forwarded it to the law department. They made me a very nice settlement offer a week later, right, which I accepted. And uh, so, so uh, you know, making Aliyah was definitely a very interesting experience. Um, and then I decided to start another company. I'm really spending too much time just talking about this. I really want to go into this much, but started another company, then another company. Uh, now I have, uh, I've been doing mostly, I, I started an apparel company a couple years ago, but that was a total flop. Oh my gosh, that was disastrous. Anybody here manufacturing in China, anything? Holy moly. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I thought I knew about business, and I was mostly, you know, doing like, you know, internet businesses and technology businesses until that point. I said, I said, how hard is it to make a shirt? Everybody has shirts. It is hard. It is very hard. It's crazy. I, I, I counted, there's about 60 steps from the time you have the idea for the product till it actually gets in the store. There's 60 different steps you have to go through. And manufacturing, so I had two issues. One was manufacturing in China. There's, China, their God is money. That, that is what they look, it's all about money. If you don't have it, they won't serve you. And if you do have it, or someone else has more, they'll ignore you and knock you down. Just one quick story, I ordered um, a bunch of shirts that had uh, special inserts on the inside. They were for special needs kids and people that drool, right? And they, I ordered 75% of the shirts with the, with the uh, bib on the inside and 25% without. Great, I placed the, uh, and I worked with this manufacturer for six months. 
samples, the material, the colors, and everything is FedEx back and forth, you know? And, and uh, I even went to China, right? And I met with them. And it, anyway, after everything, they finally sent me the order. Uh, they tell me I got the, the uh, package to send them the balance of the money I owed. And said, okay, 75% shirts with the bid, 25% without. Great, I send them the money, they release the shirts. Um, a day later, my rep says, oh, by the way, we sent you 75% without the bibs and 20, only 25% with. Now, 75% of my customers were for the bibs with the, the shirts with the bibs. So now, six months later, I, I said, but how'd you do that? Like, oh, that's what we did. Now, I'm stuck because like, I have customers that now need more shirts. I can't go to another manufacturer because it would take another six months to do the process again. The shirts actually came out good. They just didn't make the right, uh, the right amount of the, of the products they needed. Fine, so I go back to them. I said, hey, okay, I need another you know, 300 shirts to fulfill. Um, we're sorry, minimum more is 500. Okay, give me 500 shirts. Okay, put it in there. Um, listen, based on the fact that you sent me the wrong products and you basically lied to me, right? Um, can I have a discount on the, on the order? She said, okay, let me speak to, to the manager. I get a message uh, a day later. Yes, because of, uh, you know, we want to... Uh, uh, expand our relationship, we're going to give you a 2% discount. <laughs> Frustrating as anything, and everything takes so long, and then, whatever, don't ask. And then I had investors, and the investors uh, were not, that's like also I talk about in the book, uh, not all investors are good investors. My side, I closed that company, and I decided, I said, you know what, this entrepreneurship thing is great, I've been doing it for 25 years, I want a little break, I, want to, I love helping people, I was doing consulting, um, uh, business consulting, business coaching, and I said, you know what, let me do something uh, that I enjoy more. And I started a podcast called The From Entrepreneur, where I interviewed from entrepreneurs from around the world, hearing their stories, inspiring other people. And so I launched that podcast, and people really love it. And um, I had this book idea in my head I was working on for a while, uh, so we named it The From Entrepreneur, based on the, uh, uh, that same idea of uh, my niche, which is I'm from and I'm an entrepreneur, so I figured that's like a good niche to go into. And uh, so I started doing more consulting and, and, and this stuff. And then I had another idea for business, which I could get to later, uh, which I, we're just about to launch in about a week called booklikeaboss.com. But I'll talk about that more at the end of the, uh, the show. But what I wanted to talk about and what I'm here for, and I wish there was a way to make this a little darker. So close the lights and close the lights. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> can, I, can I still be seen on the video? No, we can't. No, it's a shadow. You can see the screen? You can see the screen and the shadow. Okay, I guess you better see the screen and see me anyway, right? Okay, it's not live. Uh, oh, I'm on the screen there, yeah, but not just for this one slide. I don't want to like torture you guys too much. Um, so anyway, so, but I want to talk about what is it that holds us back from being successful as entrepreneurs? Because, you know, I think everybody here, you know, they have a desire, they want to succeed, they want to be successful in business, and yet sometimes it could be you're just holding back from taking it to the next level, you're holding it back from getting to the next stage, or there are certain things that are blocking you from just really moving forward. So that's really what I wanted to talk about today. Um, oh, that's cool. That lighter. Yeah, because you activated it. Oh. Right, that is. Oh, let me see. Wrap it like this. No? How do I get this to the next screen? Oh, there, there we go. Well, we did this a little bit on me, off entrepreneur podcast there. Ah, first, I wanted to give it a cup of coffee, right? Who, anybody here drink coffee? <laughs> like for everybody, right? You can't be an entrepreneur and not drink coffee, right? And I, as a matter of fact, on, on my book, I put a cup, picture of a cup of coffee, right? And it's 
Actually, because it looked really cool, and I said, hey, I want to drink coffee. But then I heard something uh, a couple months ago that I thought was fantastic. The Rob Biederman um, tells over, uh, who is it, Rob? Uh, Pesach Krohn actually told over the name of Rob Biederman. He says, um, you know, he, I adapted it, so I'm going to tell you the adapted version. I adapted it to entrepreneurship, but the meaning is the same. He says, why do entrepreneurs drink coffee in the morning, right? He goes, what's coffee? He says, you take bitter beans, right? You put in hot water, you throw in sweet sugar, and add in cold milk, and then you take it and you say, right? You look at your day, you don't know if things are gonna be, if you feel like you're in hot water, you don't know if things are gonna be bitter, you don't know if they're gonna be sweet like sugar, and you don't know if they're gonna be, uh, you know, uh, delicious or cold, cold like cold milk, right? But we do know the one thing is, everything is created and everything is from a Kodesh Baruch And that's why we have our, our cups of coffee in the morning. I just love sharing that uh, anecdote. Okay, so we want to talk about being successful. First, we have to define success, right? How can we be successful if we don't know what success is? Are you giving out sheets with your slides? No, but I can send a slide. I'll send the slide sheet out to anybody that wants me to. I'll send me an email and I'll send you the presentation afterwards. Okay. So I have to say, what is, we have to define success. What is success, right? People think to be a successful entrepreneur, you gotta make millions of dollars. You gotta have hundreds of employees. You gotta get, or some people's success is getting an investment for, for millions of dollars, right? But First of all, for every person, success is different. But we really have to define what success is. And what's success, success to a success to a from entrepreneur, right? Or to, to any entrepreneur. And that is, if you can live the lifestyle you want, you're a successful entrepreneur. It doesn't matter if your company is always successful, it doesn't matter not. But what's great about being an entrepreneur is that if you know my, my kid has a sitter party, I don't have to ask somebody, can I go, right? If I wanna, uh, if I wanna go on vacation, I can do that. I don't have to ask permission from anybody, right? Not that I'm on, on vacation the last couple of years. It's actually, vacation for me is working. I love working. I love business. I love entrepreneurship. So it's not the. I don't see it as work, right? We can talk about that a little bit later as well. But you know, so success means that you could be there for your children. Success means you could be there for your families. Success means you could be there for your for your husband. Success means you don't have to ask about taking off and not working on Colomoy because it's a given, right? So. Success doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, everybody's gonna hear about your company or that you're gonna employ hundreds of people. Success, in my mind at least, means that you could do and live the lifestyle that you wanna live. And we're gonna talk, we're gonna delve into that a little bit more. But, first a story. So there's this man, right, and who uh, this very wealthy man goes on vacation, he goes to uh, this old village somewhere, and he goes and he decides to go out on a boat with this fisherman and he goes in the boat with this fisherman and, and they go boating and they, and they fish for a couple of hours. And it was such a relaxing, incredible time. And he says to the fisherman, he says, you know what, I wanna give you money. I wanna buy you a bigger net so you can catch more fish. So he said, well, why do I wanna catch more fish for? Well, if you catch more fish, then you could sell more fish and then you could go and you could buy a bigger boat. Well, okay, but what am I gonna do with a bigger boat? Well, if you have a bigger boat, you could hire more people you could, and you have more nets and you could, you know, collecting more fish. Well, what am I gonna do with more fish? The guy says to him. Well, then he could, he says, like the guy's getting like frustrated. He said, well, you take that more fish, you sell it for wholesale, and now, you know, you can make even more money, and then you can buy a bigger boat. And then you can buy a fleet of boats, and then you can hire a hundred fishermen. He says, and then what? He says, and then what? Then you can make millions of dollars, uh, uh, you know, millions of dollars selling fish. And, and, and then, and, and you'll be like the top of your game. And the, and the guy says, and then what? And the guy's like, and then what? Well, then you can do whatever you want. And the guy looks at him and says, 
but I'm doing that now. <laughs> right? So success, like for this man, he was doing, he was already the millionaire. He didn't need the nets. He didn't need to. So he understood for him what was success. He didn't have to work, uh, you know, 20 hours a day and hiring people and taking Excel because he was happy and understood where he wants to be successful, right? So defining success and knowing what's successful to you is an important part of being an entrepreneur. Okay, know the game you're playing. So entrepreneurship is a game, right? It is, if you look at this world, right? I look at this world as a game. Right? And the Torah is our instruction manual. Right? That's instructions on how to play. Entrepreneurship is just a piece in that game. Entrepreneurship is a means to an end, right? When the world was created, we weren't supposed to be working. Right? We're supposed to have the trees were supposed to taste like fruits, right? Bread was supposed to grow on trees. Right? We weren't you know, and Zat Shem Mashiach comes where we'll go hopefully go back to some state like that. Like you know, I guess we'll we'll find out soon hopefully. Right? But entrepreneurship and being a business is just a means in order to make a parnasa because we have to make a parnasa, right? Uh, we have to support our families. It's expensive, especially you know living here in Israel. It's, you know, it's, uh, you know to support our families to be able to buy apartments. Everything here seems just so much more expensive. I, I don't understand it. But uh, you know, when you can buy something for ninety-nine cents in the states and still it's like twenty shekel here, like it's uh, something a little wrong. But so it's expensive. So we try to. So we look at entrepreneurship. We look at business as a way, not as a life goal, right? There's a, a famous, a very famous speaker, Jewish speaker, uh, actually a Jewish businessman, Jewish entrepreneur named Gary Vaynerchuk. Anybody heard of him? Mm-hmm. Gary V. Right? He's his language is a little coarse, but he's an unbelievable person, a Jewish guy. But his life goal, and he says it, is to be the most big successful entrepreneur that he can become. Right, he wants to buy a professional sports team, and he wants to be successful in everything. That, and that's like, and I look at him, I said, "Oh my gosh, this guy is a Jewish neshama." Both his grandparents sat in jail for being Jewish in Russia, and his life goal is to make money and be successful, an entrepreneur, be successful as a business. Right, so we're looking at entrepreneurship. It's just a game. It's just a tool. And once you understand that entrepreneurship and, and making money and business is just a game, then we could we could uh, delve a little bit more into. What's holding us back from, being, from playing that game? Right? So I explained this why it is a game. So, purpose and priorities. And this is what uh, I was just uh, talking about, right? Everybody here has a purpose in this world, right? I guarantee you, 1000%, nobody here was created by God in order to be a successful entrepreneur. That, that wasn't our reason for coming into this world, right? That's not why we're here. Right, so we have to understand what is our purpose. Why are we in this world? And don't don't worry, we're not going to turn this into a long drush uh, about why that is, because you have your your own uh, rabbanim to uh, and husbands and you know uh, to, to ask about that. But we do have a definitive purpose, and I can tell you that our purpose here is not to be not to make money. That's not what we're here for, right? And then once we understand what we are what we are here for, and let's say it's to be uh, a fantastic mother, a fantastic grandmother, a fantastic uh, wife, or you know. Uh, um, what, what our purpose is, well then our priorities change. We have to look at, and remember that our priorities always have to come first, okay? It's very important that we don't get caught up in the game of entrepreneurship and ignore and forget about what the real purpose is, because that can happen a lot of times. You get involved in business, and I was, you know, one business I started in 2003, I was up literally every night for a year till 3 a.m. chatting with one of my partners, right? And, and moving the business forward. It was ridiculous, I, I had no life. I just took over everything. Even you know, if I would dive and or even I would grab a dafiomi, but that my priorities were, were out of whack, 
right? I didn't. I, I forgot about what purpose was, and but yeah, you got to make pranasa, you got to make money, but you have to understand and remember what your priorities are. Oh, story time. I love this part. Right? So a woman calls me up. Um, I guess about uh, six months ago or so, and she, she didn't have her own business. She was working for for uh, a large company, and she calls me up and she said, and she, I think she was a product manager um, for this company, and she said that they're offering her a more senior position, right? Where they're going to pay her more, she'll have uh, more prestige in, in the position, and she'll have to do more traveling. But she was nervous about having to travel and having to, and like I, I knew her, I knew her family uh, pretty well. And I, I knew where she was coming from, and she was like, should I take that leap? Should I take that jump? And I gave her this, this almost the same speech. And I said in this book, I said, and so well, what, you have to understand what your priority is, what you're here for in this world. I said, I know your husband, I said, and I know you and I know your family. I said, your priority here, yes, you gotta make pranasa, and you're making a, a nice amount of money now. But is making an extra 10,000 shekels a month, is that worth giving up being there for your children whenever they needed them? Is that worth having to have more responsibility at work so you have less time for your family? Is that worth going traveling, which you're telling me you're nervous about kashras and issues of yichud and uh, all these different questions that come up you know, when, uh, when you're out there in the quote-unquote real world and you're traveling and, and doing all these things? You, know, you have to understand and remember what's your priorities. And I said, and not only that, but if you make a decision based on your priorities, based on what is most, most important to you, you think Hashem, who is the source of our pranasa, you think he's going to penalize you for making that choice? Anyway, she was so excited and she was so grateful. And I wasn't telling her anything she didn't know. She knew all this. She just wanted to get confirmation that she was doing the right thing. For her, she understood what our priorities are. And for, for it's, it's different for everybody. It's different for men and women. But as, as from Jews, um, you know, as someone that believes in, in Hashem, that believes in the Torah, and believes in purpose in this world, we have to always keep our priorities um, in mind. And when we understand that, we understand what, what is MS, what is truth, and we look at entrepreneurship and business as just a tool, a mechanism, a pawn in this, in this world, right? then it can allow us to be more successful in it. Right? Because we know where our priorities are from and we know where the shefa, where the bracha, is actually coming from. But putting your best efforts and taking calculated risks in your company is part of your style. Right? We always say you have to do your style. You have to put your effort in. Right? There's no question. Right? We can't rely on miracles. Hashem doesn't want us to rely on miracles. And Hashem created the world in a way that works what's called al-pidera hateva. Right? It works according to natural means. Now it is true, depending on your level of emuna and betachon, right? the more success, the more harder you have to work or the, or the less hard you'll have to work. It depends on where you're holding. But definitely the more you work on your Bitachon muscle and your Muna muscle, the less you'll have to put in in terms of Ashtavas, right? At the same time, we still have to put in our Ashtavas. We still have to do, do the work. We have to put in the efforts, right? And we have to understand, you know, what that means. And, you know, that, whether that means uh, in marketing or doing things in the best way possible, I'm always a big believer in if you're going to do something, do it right, right? If you're going to uh, create a logo, don't say you know the extra hundred dollars to get something you're not going to be happy with. It doesn't make you stand out. If you're going to come up with a name, if you're going to come up with a, a, um, a product, right? Do it in the best way you possibly can, right? And there's no reason why we couldn't and why we shouldn't. And I mean, maybe I'll, I'll come back another time and speak about uh, marketing and branding. Uh, it's another seminar I give that can really delve into that more. Ah. 
And that's the most important thing to remember. We don't control the results. Right? It doesn't matter. If someone, uh, a friend of mine, who was it? I just heard recently, a friend of mine was speaking to somebody, and uh, an entrepreneur in the States, and he said that, and he was so proud of himself, he says that 99% of my success comes from Hashem. It's only 1% for me. And my friend was like laughing, he says, 100% is from Hashem. <laughs> right? Our success has nothing to do with us. Right? The only thing we could do is we could put in our status. We could daven. Like if you want to say, hey, should I spend an extra hour making phone calls to customers or should I spend that hour saying to Hillen or, or doing a chesed, what's going to have a greater impact on my success? I'm going to tell you, saying that to Hillen, putting that extra hour into the tefillah, right? Because that has a, that has a greater chance of being more, of helping you be more successful in your business. That's just the reality. It's not just something, you know, you know that you take away. I was showing, uh, I was showing this book to a big rogue, um, and he said to me, uh, "This is so needed." He said, "People think that when they, when they leave, uh, when they leave shul in the morning, they go out to the business world. That's two separate things." He says, "No, there's only one world. There's only one world, and that is being Jews. That is being from Jews. That's that's following the Torah. The fact that we're entrepreneurs, but as we said before, what are, what are what are our priorities? What is our foundation? Right? So it doesn't matter how hard we work. And I'll tell you this because I've seen people that are like." I don't, I don't mean you know uh, Jews here, but like there's people that are just like the dumbest people or have the stupidest ideas, and they make absolute millions of it, right? It's just insane. Well, no, we don't want to get too political here, but uh, no, but that, but truth is that shows it. First of all, it shows two things: one, that Hashem is in total control of the world, you know, with Trump winning, right? Two, it, it shows that um, really Hashem has a good sense of humor. Right, because no one, you know, and I've been following Trump for thirty years as a businessman. I've read his books and I was inspired by him. Uh, but it also, just because you brought it up, so just a little tangent, we'll go off on now. Um, you know, one of the things I saw, you always think about Mashiach coming. What's it going to be like, right? Trump, within you know a year, became the most famous and most powerful person in the world, like that. Right? Well, people thought he was going to be down and out. The whole world thought he was going to lose. The whole world thought that he was. You know, it was a laughing stock. And then like that, Hashem made him the most powerful and most famous person in the entire world. Like that. Lahavdil. When Mashiach comes, the whole world is going to be like, oh my gosh, the Jews were right. The Torah was real. Right? That, and it's going to be an awakening. And the whole world's going to understand about how, how Melch Mashiach and how the MS is real. But the great thing about us is that we know what MS is already. Right? We, we know that that's it actually goes back into what we're saying, right? So we don't control the results. We can, by working harder, by coming up with better ideas, by throwing our priorities aside, we're not going to become more successful. You could work 15-hour days, 16-hour days, and you can make no money, or you could work two-hour days, three-hour days, and make more money than, than you know, your 10 closest neighbors, right? So success is not in our hands. Once you understand that success is not on our hands, well, hey, well, it's not really in my hands, so maybe I could do, I could take more risks. I could do a little less. I could work on my priorities a little bit more and see how that works out. I don't understand then how your earlier points are saying if you're going to do a local or whatever, if that's going to take, as you said, do the best you can. So if that's going to take more of your time and your resources and et cetera, then it, I don't see how that follows with what you said. Yeah. Sure. So when you, when you do something, so it doesn't take, like let's say in terms of time, right? So let's say you set aside eight hours a day, which is a normal amount of time to be working on a, on a project. People always say, um, the Rambam, like, uh, you know, they, they said the Rambam was a doctor, right? 
the Rambam learned 10 hours a day and was a doctor for two hours a day. He says, if you want to be like the Rambam, learn for 10 hours a day and you can work as a doctor for two hours a day, right? But in terms of, if you have eight hours in your day, I'm not telling you that, hey, you should spend an extra hour to do the logo that day. I'm saying if you're going to create a logo anyway, create the nicest logo, right? I'm not telling you that, that, that instead of working eight hours a day, you got to work 10 hours a day because those extra two hours is not going to make a difference in your business for the most part. Right, it depends. On, you know, if you're doing, a, you're at a convention, a trade show, where you got to up the efforts. It's a special situation, but but generally speaking, right. So just because we want to do the best we can, like for example, you know, the guys that are sitting and learning, right, they have to learn the best they can. They're not supposed to be taking off and you know walking around. You know, they're, they're putting in their efforts and putting in their kliyas to to become the best tamidim as they as they become, become the best Torah learners as they can become. Right? We have to put in the best efforts in becoming the best business people. We want to be the best mothers. We want to be the best fathers. We want to be, be the best in everything we do because we're always representing Hashem. Right? So if you're going to do something, do it in the best way you possibly can. So I don't know if that answers the question, but it doesn't, uh, to me, it doesn't uh, contradict what I was saying earlier. I guess in essence what you're saying is you're planning in advance and you're saying I'm setting time to do this and not add extra afterwards just because Right, or or just feeling like say, hey, you know, you know, I I, could, I help my kids with their homework, or I could make another three client calls, or I could work on this project, which you know, and put another couple of hours into it, or whatever it is, you know, it's better to prioritize and say, hey, my kids need me now, you know, I, I you know, it's also uh, when you're in business, right? Um, at, at the end of your, whether you're in business for 40 years or you're in business for 39 years, it's not going to make a difference, right? But to your kids, the extra time that you could put into them and give to them now will make a difference that can last generations. Right? Okay, so now that we understand that it's a game, right? We got that foundation set. Let's talk about the things that are actually holding us back, and that's part two, what we call fear, right? Fear is the number one thing that holds anybody back from doing anything, right? Who knows, what are some fears that people think they have in entrepreneurship business? Yes? I was very afraid of doing nail surgery by myself the first time. To do what, I'm sorry? To do nail surgery by myself. To do nail surgery by yourself. I did it, but I was very afraid. So I think more, yes, it's, I can imagine. <laughs> but a more general, like what, a fear of... I'm waiting for you me. You can't do it. It's not a sound that comes from that x and that what, what if I don't succeed and we have to pay So home? fear of failure. Right. Fear of failure is a good one. Any other fears? Fear of rejection. Great. Losing money. Fear of losing money. Okay. I know that goes with being unsuccessful. Fear of ridicule. Fear of putting yourself out. I came up with another fear. I wanted to speak about it and put in the presentation. Uh, but you remind me. Fear of change. Right, we'll, we'll get into these things. Fear of success. Fear of success. Fear of criticism. Fear of criticism, excellent. Right? So fear is what is our biggest obstacle to success. Right? Especially as entrepreneurs. When you're afraid, right, of something happening, it holds you back from taking that plunge. Right? It holds you back from making that decision. It holds you back from taking that step further. And that's what a couple of things that's what I want to focus on now for this next part. Right? But the good thing is you have to have no fear because if you're playing a game and you understand it's a game, you know, there's no fear because it's just a game, right? And so you can take the risks that you want to take, you can do the things you want to take because if you have the mindset that this is not reality, that really our, our success is not really in our hands, it's just a matter of effort, 
well then, hey, I could take that added risk or I could pretend to be more confident you know, when I'm going up to speak or when I'm speaking in front of clients, right? I can afford to raise my rates by 25% because I, I know that I'm more valuable and that my, what I put in and what I, what I offer my clients is worth that much more, right? So having this understanding, knowing this game, I think can help with this fear factor, but let's, we're gonna dig in a little bit more. Fear of the unknown, like that's the number one fear that people have, right? That's why kids get scared of the dark. That's, you know, that's why you know, people tend not to even want to start a business. People like the safety, a safety net. People like you know, the comfort zone. The comfort zone. Leaving your comfort zone, exactly. Right? Everybody likes to be in their comfort zone. The comfort zone starts from when we're with our mothers as babies. Right? Your mother holds you and cuddles you. We never want to, we're always looking for that. We're always looking to, to be there. We're, we're, we're scared when we try to leave the nest, so to speak. And it takes time, it takes, it takes years. Right? Good. People that are working in the, uh, we spoke with someone earlier that you know you have a paycheck and it's coming in, I don't want to lose that paycheck because what happens when I lose that paycheck and I go out on my own and then I don't have that comfort anymore, right? And as entrepreneurs and business people, and it's funny, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Tanayim and the Gemara, right, they had businesses. Uh, uh, There's a town that sold wine, that sold beer, had bathhouses, had even ships, right? They had businesses, right? Because being, if you have your own business, you're able to sit and learn to make decisions you want to do. You're not obligated to anyone else, right? You're only obligated to yourself. There are even a few women in the Kamara who had business. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> so, so there was a daughter, I think, from Chia, and there was a woman who sold land, and there's a whole story of a guy. Oh, it could be. I, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not booking shots, but I believe you. Just read Asia's title. It's on my list. <laughs> I sing it, I sing it, is that, you know? Um, so, so it, people are like to be in a company and they're afraid to actually step out of their comfort zone because what you don't know is scary, right? But if you know it's just a game, so if you take that, that step and you move out of your comfort zone, okay, well, I'm still on the board, right? I'm still playing the game and it enables you to do that because you, have, you don't have that fear of what's gonna be because you realize it's, you know, you, the game has a beginning and has an end. Right? It has rules and it has different things, but it's not the purpose. It's not the foundation of who you are. Right? You take a risk in business. You can put yourself out there. That's not going to change how you are as a mother or as you know a, a grandmother or as a, as you know a Jew. It's that's not going to affect that. But then fear of criticism can kick in. Let's say you fail. Why did you take that. that risk? Why did you do that? Yeah. That was so stupid. How could you risk your family's uh, security? You know. You know who's saying that? that? The people that are fear of the unknown, people that are not entrepreneurs, they're going to hold you back. You know why? Because everybody's scared and they don't want to do it, right? People, people are, are, are afraid to get. We'll, we'll get to those. See, try to follow the, the slides, but their fear of failure—that's like that's one of the biggest ones. What happens if I fail? So, first of all, almost any successful entrepreneur has failed. You don't become successful unless you fail in most cases. And there are investors out there, big VCs that won't put their money behind an entrepreneur who hasn't failed before, right? All the famous inventors, Tom said, uh, uh, Edison, right? How many times did he fail before he came up with the light bulb? I think he had like, it was like a ridiculous, I, I talk about my book, I think, it was like a, was like a, th a thousand different ty ways to do it unsuccessfully before he became successful, right? Even Mark Zuckerberg, who started Facebook, he had two other companies he started that were not successful before he came up with Facebook, or supposedly came up with Facebook, whichever, uh, uh, you know, sign you go with, 
right? So any successful entrepreneur, and even successful entrepreneurs, right? we talk about Donald Trump, he's been very successful in some things, he's been failure in others, but you know what, he doesn't let that failure hold him back. He has a winning attitude, and he's like, I'm just gonna keep moving forward, I'm not gonna be successful at everything. Richard Branson, a billionaire, right? You know how many, how many of his projects, and I did, you know how many companies he has, he has Richard Branson? Anybody know? He has something like 150 active companies today. Right? He's a billionaire of Virgin Airlines, and uh, he started with Virgin Music. But if you read his book, you know how many failures he had before he got to that point, how many failures he's had even today. But entrepreneur is not afraid to take a risk. That's what separates us from people that like being in their comfort zone and liking that, that monthly paycheck. Right? We're not afraid to go out there and take risks. And the people that are criticizing you are the ones that are, are not able to take that risk. And then that are scared of being seen again. They don't want to see you succeed, unfortunately, <coughs> because they feel, oh, why should this person succeed and not me? Well, because you're willing to take that risk. You're willing to go out there, right? So fear, fear of failing. So let's talk about fear of failing, right? It's because we understand that success is not in our hands. Then if you, say, if you fail, as not. So what? At least you try. At least you put in your efforts. At least you got out there. At least you tried living the life you wanted to live. At least you took the ideas that Hashem gave you and you tried to make something of them. How many millions of people out there get an idea, and it could be a great idea, and they don't do anything with it because they're afraid, they're afraid of taking that step. They're afraid of what people are going to say. They're afraid of putting themselves out there, raising money, making hype, and doing everything they can, and then failing. Okay, everybody fails. You know what, if it's not in business, People fail, and also people fail in school. People fail. You know, we're, we're we're human. We make mistakes. We make errors. That's why we have tshuva, right? That's why we 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 could do uh, you know, Hashem accepts our tshuva, and uh, we can you know say sorry, right? No one expects everybody to be perfect. Yet everybody is afraid of not looking perfect, right? Social media, right? Facebook. Why Facebook comes so huge? Because everybody in the world has this desire. Not just today, everybody. A large part of the, of the world has a desire to make themselves look good in other people's eyes, right? Now, when they couldn't do it in person, Facebook made it very easy because, hey, here's a picture of the restaurant I'm at now. Oh, I'm at a restaurant. That means I can afford a meal. That means I'm being served. That means I'm trying good food. And, you know, it makes me feel special, right? And someone that's flying to this vacation, yeah, I succeeded in that. And if we are, or here's my new car. Or check, even, you know, check out my children. Look how good they are. Look at it. Everything is about making look. But I guarantee you that everybody on Facebook is posting these things has 99% of more stuff they don't want you to see. <laughs> right? But Facebook gives them that, that, that outlet to make them feel good, make them uh, feel uh, prestigious, make them feel fantastic. And it's very easy and it doesn't cost anything. Right? And people want to feel good. People want to look at others. And people uh, you know, wanna, are afraid how other people are going to look down on them. I said, this is a great way to make people look up to them, but it's all nonsense, right? I use Facebook a lot, but I don't use it for personal reasons. I would never use Facebook for personal reasons. You'll never find a picture of my wife. You'll never find a picture of my kids, you know, on Facebook. You won't find me, uh, when I, well, maybe when I'm in the restaurant sometimes, but, you know, <laughs> that's because it's part of the, the game of uh, uh, perceived value, which, which I talk about, which I talk about in a, a marketing and branding session, right? But, you know, it, I, I try to keep the personal side out and just use it as a platform for business um, and growing uh, my network, right? But people fail. It's every entrepreneur has failed. Every person in life has had some failures. It's not whether you fail, that's whether you fail and pick yourself up again and you succeed. And you know what? If you learn from your failures, 
then you didn't really fail. I just saw a cute cartoon. Uh, I think it was an Ami magazine. Was Ami, I think it was Ami magazine this past week, where uh, I had a, a person at work. He says, "Hey, if I'm always, if it's good to fail because you always learn, so should I be working on failing more?" <laughs> right? So no, we don't try to fail. We don't want to fail. We got to put in ourselves. We want to. We dive in for our success, and we put in our best efforts. Right? But if they don't end up with the results you want, remember, results and success is not in our hands. We can only put in our status. So don't worry about failing. Everybody's done it. Every successful entrepreneur has done it. And mostly you hear about the successful entrepreneurs, and they're on the covers of magazines, and they're writing books, and they're doing all these things. right? But it's not only because, that's only because they've failed 100 times before. And most good entrepreneurs will talk about that and talk about their failures. Because when you learn from your failures, you're just growing to succeed. Fear of ridicule, right? Someone brought that up. What are people going to say, right? You put, you know, you put something out there. You, you put yourself out there. You start a company, and all of a sudden, your friend from high school is like, "Oh, that guy. I remember him. Who, you know, who is he to start a business? Who is, you know, who is she to, to, to go out and, and open up a, an office? You know, or, or, or relatives, people that, that like sort of know you." not um, on how you are the face of the world, but know you as a person and knew you growing up. Right? We're so afraid of what our neighbors are going to say. Are you going to go to Shul and Shabbos and, and something like, eh, you know, this person thinks you know, they're, they're an entrepreneur. As, you know, meanwhile, you know, he's getting his, his, his $150,000 a year salary and his wife's making $100,000 a year, but they're not able to cover tuition for their kids. Right? Those are the ones that are looking down on you. Those are the ones that are, are, are ridiculing you. Right? For good or for bad, I never, I guess start from the age of like 13 or so. I, I, mean, I, grew, up, I grew up more modern. Um, I guess you could say I was a kid at risk a little bit. You know, I went off to Derek for, for, I don't know, a year or so. Not totally, but um, definitely not where, where I wanted to be. And, you know, I, I had this attitude as a kid at, from the age of like 13 that I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to do it. And I don't care whether, unfortunately, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, right? My attitude, I had this attitude of whatever you say, whatever you do, is not gonna affect me, and I don't care. And when I went to, it's funny, when I went, it got me in a lot of trouble. I got kicked out of every high school I went to, right? And, uh, you know, I, I definitely had spent years doing shuba to my parents for, for the August Nevis I put them through, you know? But, you know, it, Part of growing up, part of being a teenager, part of life. But I didn't have, I had this attitude of like, it doesn't matter to what anybody thinks, right? Because it's my world, I'm in this world, and I'm here to do what I want to do, and you only get one chance at this, according to most proportion, right? Maybe I'll come back and go or whatever. Um, so I went, uh, so when I was, uh, when I, I went to Artistral when I was uh, 17, 18, it's funny, I got kicked out of, high, I got kicked out of school. Um, and then my senior, was supposed to be my senior year of high school, the first six months I spent getting my GED, right? And taking that, and I passed it. My second six months, I enrolled myself in community college. I was paying for by myself from working side jobs, right? So while my friends were still seniors in high school, I was already in college, right? Because I had this attitude of like, I could do anything and like, you know, I, I was a go-getter and, then, and I wouldn't let anything hold me back. And whereas high school was a waste of time for me, yeah, I flourished in college even though I only went there six months because I ended up going to Israel the next year. But just, it was an atmosphere of nobody was on top of me, right? Nobody was telling me what to do. You didn't show up to class, your parents didn't get a phone call, right? 
if you, if you, uh, you're, you're back then you're allowed to smoke in the hallways nobody said anything to you right not that I smoke now it's very bad don't do it okay so make that clear uh, but you know I, I, I didn't I, I, I was able to thrive in an atmosphere that let me be me right now of course and, and it's funny so when I was there at Israel, you had like uh, anybody here went to seminary? A few people, a few people, almost everyone. Right, so you went, you went to seminary, and you had, in seminary, I'm sure, like in yeshiva, you had different cliques, you have different groups. So in my yeshiva, you had the, the wealthy jocks, you had the, 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 uh, the, the nerds, you had the, the uh, musicians, you had, like, you had all these different groups. And so the jocks, the wealthy jocks, right, these were, uh, you know, that was the group that everybody, you know, they would walk in the hall, you'd sort of like, Move away, let them through, right? And so one of the top jocks, one of these top guys, who was like best basketball player, best this, best that, and he had his attitude. He used to walk, you know, like this, and you know, and then he would walk in the halls, and people would like move away and stuff. And then he would walk to me, and I would move, <laughs> and he'd be like, you know, waiting for me, and I just wouldn't move because I didn't think he was anything. Who did he think he's better than me? This guy, right? And this went on for a few months. After a few months, he calls me into his room. I go into his room, we're sitting down in his bed. He said, I want you to know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. He says, you don't know what it's like inside me. He says, but all these people, I have this attitude, I have this reputation I built over the years. Everybody looks at me like this thing and they move away when I, I hate that. He says, that's not me. I'm a genuine person, I want to be real, but I just can't. But I appreciate what you do by standing up for me and I appreciate you being real. And I always had that friendship, wherever I went, any high school is like, you know, I always had people that respected me because I respected myself. I, I didn't give in to other people. Now, when I came from, I had a rude awakening. Oh my gosh, there's Torah. <laughs> I have to follow these laws and not just suggestions, right? And I have to honor my parents and you have to be respectful. That. Okay, so within those guidance, obviously the Torah comes first and that's the foundation of everything, right? So I, and you have to follow those rules. But once you follow those rules, Right? You don't have to worry about what anyone else says about you. Don't worry about it. Who cares? First of all, they shouldn't be speaking Lush and Hara. Right? They shouldn't be giving you Ayin Hara. Right? They, should, they should be down the cops close to you. And not only that, but we should be helping each other succeed. When you have an entrepreneur that's, that, because 90% of the people, 95% of the people are not willing to get out of their comfort zone, are not willing to take that step, those that take, that take that risk and that have the guts to do it, we should respect them. And we should help them. You know why? Because what happens when a firm entrepreneur succeeds? Their family succeeds. Their community succeeds. There's more money for their shuls. There's more money for their schools. There's more out of the box thinking. There's more. Uh, there's more hiring within you our communities. You have to publicize that message very far. I'm trying. I'm trying. That's why I got this book, <laughs> right? I'm trying to. I'm trying to emphasize that message because you know, if, you know, it's it's very hard to be. I'm not going to tell you it's easy to be successful as an entrepreneur. You know, it's not. A lot of a lot of companies fail. But we don't go according to the numbers. We go according to our own personal situations and our own relationship with Hashem. And again, going back to what it means to be successful, right? But when you see, you know, even if it costs you, you know, 15% more, 20% more to give a job to, to someone in your community, give it to that person in your community. Their expenses are higher. But we got to help each other. We got to support each other as entrepreneurs, right? And it's something that I think that message you're right should be out more. People should realize that, know that, and 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 you know, it's not just about saving, you know, ten dollars. It's about supporting the, the, the entrepreneurs in our communities, okay? But don't worry about what anybody says. Brush it aside. It's a lot of jealousy. It's a lot of, because they, they didn't have the guts to take the step that you took, all right? So don't worry about what people said, said about you. You only have to worry about what Hashem says about you and what your spouses and your closest family says about you. Everything else, 
or maybe your maybe your your rub, right? But anything else is uh, you should just you know let it bounce off you. Seriously, how many times how many entrepreneurs have told you know you're gonna be a failure, you're not gonna succeed, you're this, you're that. You know, I, I was told that you know almost my whole life. You get kicked out of this school and that, you know, you're gonna end up in jail, right? Yes. Do you have a good example for how you react to uh, somebody who ridicule you? Sure, sure. Uh, make fun of me. Sorry. Make fun of me. Make fun. I don't know. Ridicule me. Anyway, but make fun of me. Just react like this. Why not? Maybe man, but you don't do that too. No, that's not our word. When, when, when someone ridicules me, and it doesn't happen that much anymore because they, most people won't be open about it. You know, I'm like 44, you know, I'm not, I'm not a teenager anymore. But still, you know, sometimes, first of all, I get, I get, I ask for criticism. I ask for feedback because I want to get better and I want to do better and I want to help people. And sometimes not all that successful. There was, you know, there's a, um, a couple that went into business about uh, six, seven years ago that I tried helping and they didn't follow what I had said to do and they did things, you know, that were wrong. Um, but they blame me for the failure, and I feel bad because you know I want people to be successful, right? But if someone says something bad about me, if someone's uh, you know, and that and it is because like especially if you're being more in the public eye, and we can talk about that. I mean, if we you know do a session on branding and marketing, you know about your personal brand. When you go out there, I was terrified when I published this book. I really was. I was actually very scared. What if people don't like it? I put years and years in it, and thousands of dollars, and and. It, it's like my kayak. What happens if nobody buys it? Right? What happens if someone reads it? That that's garbage. You know, what's he saying there? Right? It's very scary because you're putting yourself on public when you come to speak. You know, if I come here and I speak and you guys don't clap at the end, <laughs> that's not funny. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Right? What? You know, what? You know, but if you have these fears, you're not going to go and do these things. You're not going to write that book. You're not going to go out and public speak. But her question really was, how do you? How do I respond? I, in my, I don't, first of all, I, you never attack back. You know, first, I wouldn't give that person the credit or anything. And two, when someone says something to you or, or, or starts to hurt you, you have to know and realize that, that first of all, you can try to think where it's coming from. I don't even think, try to think where it comes from. It just doesn't matter. It just bounces off me because I know who I am. I'm confident in who I am. I'm confident in my skills and I'm confident in the direction I'm taking. But most importantly, and this is, this is hugely important, is that I have the support of my wife, right? As long as my wife is happy, as long as my wife is supporting me, then I don't care what anyone else says. Right? And, and she's put up with a lot over the years. She really has, because being an entrepreneur, you know, traveling around, uh, you know, uh, uh, traveling around the world and, 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 and working crazy hours in the beginning and taking risks and times when you have no money and you know it's time to pay the bill because electricity is shut off, right? But she, throughout everything, and we're married, you know, seven, oh, I hope I get this right, 17 years, you know, or it'll be, I think it's 18 years in February, right? But, but, but having that support system and having her as my strength and my backbone enables me to take the risks and stuff because I don't have to, because I know that at home, my wife loves me, my wife is, is taking, is, is, has confidence in me, and I know I'm doing the right thing. I have a very close friend of mine, one of my closest friends in the world, who, uh, who says I shouldn't be an entrepreneur, I shouldn't take another risk because I've taken so many in the past and I've failed. And it was very painful to me. And this close friend of mine was telling me again, I said, you know, I've been an entrepreneur. Oh, we'll get to that, I guess. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur, you know, my whole life. I said, now I'm gonna start working for somebody. I can't work for somebody. I can't do it. It's just not in my DNA. And I don't think that's what Hashem wants for me. 
Hashem, I, I'm 100% sure that Hashem does not want me going and working for somebody else. It's just not my DNA. It's not who I am. You have to know who you are. Right? You have to believe in yourself. Right? So, so you know, it, it got very painful when this close friend of mine told me that. He says, maybe you should get a job, you know, working, uh, you know, working somewhere else while you're trying to start another business and stuff. And I'm like, but I can do a business deal, and I have Baruch Hashem where, you know, I, I, I once turned something that I, I bought something at two hundred fifty dollars, and two months later I sold it for twenty five thousand dollars, right? This is how when you have a money and you put in the efforts and stuff, right? Getting a steady job, it may be nice, but you have to understand at the beginning of the year in Rosh Hashanah, Hashem determines how much you're going to make. How you're going to make it is based on your choices and what you do. But what you're going to, how much you're going to make. And I'll go off on another tangent because it's so much fun. We have we have time with like uh, anybody in a rush? No. Um, uh, I once about a few years ago when I was on a trip to the states, I had this I had this um, ha'ara about gambling. I said, you know what, gambling? How do you be successful in gambling? I was telling this to my friend. I said, how do you successful? He says, you realize that every card that comes out is not luck, but it's all determined by Hashem. And I said, okay, show me. So we drove up to the Poconos, right? And we went to this casino. And within about 45 minutes, I made like $400, right? And my friend was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I just, the, the money just kept coming in. And I, 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 put in, I started with $100 and I came out with $500, right? The $100 I put in, I, I won an extra $400, right? And I said, why? I told my friend, I said, why did I win that $400? Because I believed, I knew that every car that came out was from Shemayim. When I got back from that trip, I, I had an unexpected um, problem with one of my cars, and it cost me $400 to fix. <laughs> and I realized I was making a big Great mistake. <laughs> I, really said, I said, yes, the, the Amuna part that everything is from Hashem, from Hashem was good, but you're not going to make more money by gambling, right? <laughs> Hashem determines a rush of shot. So you think Hashem said, okay, this year you're going to make uh, 200,000 shekels, but if you gamble, well, then we're going to get thrown an extra 10000 No, that's not how it works. And I made that, I made that mistake, right? You're not going to make more by gambling, right? Uh, but but uh, having, a, having a level of Muna and Betachon is definitely, uh, will enhance your, 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 uh, your uh, chances of being successful. Okay? Fear of rejection, right? This is a big one because, and I'll, is there a story time slide coming up? This? I want to tell a story. Yes, there is. Okay, good. <clears throat> just a uh, fear of rejection, right? We're afraid of what someone else is going to say to us. We talk about that, about ridicule. But if we get ridiculed, we're fear of being rejected. Nobody wants to get rejected. It's very painful to get rejected, right? Those of us that, that went, out, um, uh, went out with more than one person in Shadokam or whenever we got married, right, it's painful. You know, you, you like somebody and you, you put in, uh, you, you go in, there's someone here in uh, dating coaching, right? Right? So you, you put in and, and you. <laughs> How do you, you, you teach about that? Yeah. Right, it's very hard. Right, you get all excited. You think, oh, this is it, and then, and then, yeah, she's not interested anymore. And she's like, what happened? We had such a great time. I, I pretended it was her birthday, and it wasn't. Like, what? You know, what went on there? <laughs> you know, it was. Uh, it, you know, and, and, and it's painful. So people like now, people even as hard as rejection is, who you're being rejected by makes it a lot easier, right? If you go over to to a kid and you ask him and you uh, and you, you want to offer him a candy, let's say you know you're not supposed to do that. But let's say you know the kid's from school, right? And you give him a candy and he doesn't want it, right? 
okay, you're not going to cry about it. You're not going to think about it again because it's a little kid. What do I care? You didn't, you rejected my candy, right? But if you go to a client and it's somebody you know in your community, and you have, you feel you have a fifty-fifty shot of getting that person's business, and they reject you, right? First of all, we don't know why they reject you. It could be it had nothing to do with you. It could be their own personal situations or whatever it is. But it hurts, okay. But you move on to the next client. It's not going to, it's not going to break you. But people have this fear. But if you go to someone bigger, someone more, more. Um, uh, more powerful or something, or that's more quote unquote hushed, right? And you get rejected, it's gonna hurt more, it's gonna be more painful, right? But you have to get that out of your head. Why? Because we're all humans, we're all people. No matter how much money you have in your bank account, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're serving a billionaire, a millionaire, or you're serving someone that has no money, they're all the same, they're all people. They all have hearts, they all bleed, right? Anybody here know someone who doesn't bleed? Right? Everybody bleeds, right? So everybody has pains, everybody has emotions, everybody has. Uh, as uh, Nisayons, right, in their lives. If you don't have Nisayons in your life, you're like a snake, right? Because, you know, the snake the snake gets all his, uh, can eat the dirt, so he doesn't have to ask Hashem for anything, right? So we all have Nisayons, we all have problems, right? So if you have this attitude and you realize that, hey, everybody's the same, then don't fear rejection, because it's just a numbers game, right? The results of what's going to happen, we already said, doesn't is not determined by you. So if that's the case, then go after the big clients. Go after the dream the dream client, the dream customer, the dream, the, the vision of what you want to do, right? And this reminds me of a story, because I once listened to this. Um, back when I was in sales doing my promotional marketing, right? so I had this, uh, I was listening to a tape on sales, and the guy says, and the guy says like this, he says, listen, people have a fear of going after the big clients, and going after the CEOs, and going after the big, you know, uh, you know the, the business owners of, of big companies. He says, why? Because they feel they get rejected, it's so bad, and this big company rejected me, right? And he says, you can't have that fear. Just have to go, he says, these, sales, these people have to buy from somebody, why shouldn't that somebody be you? And who cares if it's your neighbor that's rejecting you or it's, or it's a multimillionaire that's rejecting you, right? You're, both, you're being rejected by both, but what happens if the multimillionaire says yes? What happens if that big company says yes? And I, was, I listened to that, and I got so determined, and I was excited, and I said, you know what? I'm calling Miramax Films. Big film studio, right? Making multi-million dollar movies. They had an office in New York, and I get a connection over there, and I call up, and I email, and I finally get myself a meeting with, with uh, an executive in Miramax Films. And I'm so excited, right? I said, oh, this is it, put on my suit, you know, get all, you know, take the bus, go into Manhattan, you know, feel like a real big business person instead of just going to the, you know, the local Hamish businesses, you know, I was going to Miramax Films, right? I bought a box of donuts, and I figured, you know, leave with him, people like, you know, like donuts, right? So, uh, feeling all confident, looking like a real business guy, I go into the office and I go, there's, you know, the uh, woman in the front desk, she says, who are you here to see? I said, oh, I'm here to see, uh, let's say his name is Tom. She says, oh, uh, so uh, Tom didn't come in today. I, well, I'm having a meeting with him. You know, I know the schedule says, oh, well, something came up and he didn't come in. I take my donuts back. I <laughs> <laughs> right, put it in my bag. And like, I'm like, okay, well, please tell me I came by. Now, it, it was a little hurtful because, you know, Tom, whatever, who knows what situation he has, he didn't come to work. He didn't email me, he didn't let me know. And you get, and this happens with Shaduchim also, you know, I'm sure a lot of the day, you get yourself all prepped up and you're all excited and then, you know, the guy doesn't show up, or the girl doesn't show up, whatever it is. And, and so it was a little hurtful. And I said, you know, I come out of that. And I said, you know what? 
Hashem is in charge. Remember actually what I said? I said, I got up, I got dressed, I prepare, I'm prepared to make a pitch, I'm going to make a pitch. Next door to Miramax Films is another film studio called Taxi Films. Anybody heard of them? Taxi Films? No, neither did I. No one's heard of them. Right? They, I don't know what they did, but there was like small documentaries, and I don't know what it was. But they had this office in there, and I go into their office, and I say, yeah, and I, I go into to the front desk, and it was really cool because the whole office looked like one of these old, uh, these old taxi cab, um, you know, stations, or whatever. That's how they built the office. It was like a really cool office. And I go in, and I said, yeah. Hi, I sell uh, promotional marketing materials. I said, someone I can speak to, perhaps I can help you with. Oh, no, 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 we don't want. And, and I'm like, okay, fine. Rejected, and I'm walking out. And this old guy from a back office comes out, and he says, wait, 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 come here. He says, what are you here for? I said, oh, I mean, I sell promotional marketing. He said, come to my office. Ah. I go in, I sit down with this guy. He's an old Jewish guy, not from, but you know, I was wearing my yarmulke, and he, you know, he wanted to talk about the old days and this and that. And we started schmoozing. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you an order. And he gave me an order. Not, not a crazy order. You know, I must have done, I don't know, $4,000 worth of business with the guy. Right? Not what I was dreaming about with Miramax. But he calls me up one day. And he says, I went by my English name back then, Richard. He says, Richard, I, I said, you got to go right now. He says, go to Da Savano Restaurant. My Da Savano Restaurant? What's what that? He says, just go. It's in Manhattan, here's the address, <coughs> tell him I sent you. I told him that you're gonna come to see me. Okay, you know, I take my stuff, you know, and, and I go to this Dasavano restaurant in, in Manhattan. And I go there and I say, hey, I'm looking uh, for, I'm looking for Dasavano. You see this big Italian guy, right, with the shirt open, the jewelry, the gold jewelry pouring out, like the real deal, like the real mafioso guys, right? And you come in and like, he's telling people like this and like this and like, and, I, and I'm like waiting online to greet him, right? and he's sitting outside, and I go, and I said, yeah, I said, this guy uh, sent me, he said, oh, yeah, 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 sit down. So he comes in, I said, can I get you something to eat? So I said, you know, I'll just have a, a Coke, he said, you know, I'm Jewish. He said, yeah, I see you're Jewish, you're kosher, you know, and I understand, you know, give me a drink, fine. And we sit down, so I said, yeah, I had this 25th, uh, uh, 25th anniversary of my restaurant, they're still around the Savannah. You can look, look them up, right? <laughs> don't, don't eat there, but you look up. Right, so 25th year anniversary, we're looking for something to give out to our customers. So I said, oh, okay, how about, um, how about a nice hat? We can do a beautiful microfiber hat. We can put in your logo on the front. We put 25. Oh, I love it. Great idea. He says, um, can, you, can you bring me some samples? I said, sure. I'll come back, you know, I'll come back tomorrow or the next day. And I'll bring some samples of the hats and stuff. Fine. So, again, you guys all dressed up, you went to Manhattan, all this effort, I met with the guy for 10 minutes. Like you put in hours just for 10 minutes, right? But that's the style is, you put in the effort, how you can succeed or not, right? That's a Toshem. I go back to my office, I get some samples of hats, and I go back, I don't know, a couple days later, maybe ordered some, some, uh, some other samples, and I go back to the guy, and um, I said, to, uh, and with the samples of the hats, and I show it to him, and he says, oh, he says, oh, this looks good. And he picks up one of the hats. Says, this is great. He says, how much does it have? I said, oh, it's, it's seven and a half dollars with your embroidery on the front and on the back. He says, great. He says, he, call, he calls over his, uh, I don't know, his girlfriend, whatever it was. Some, I don't know his girlfriend or his granddaughter, but one of you two, <laughs> right? And she comes out and he says, what do you think of these hats, right? And she said, oh, they're, they're really nice. He says, he says, I said, okay, how many would you like to order? And he says, uh, 2,500. I have 2,500. His, his 
girlfriend or granddaughter, whichever was, she says, don't you mean 250? He says, no, I want, two, I want 2,500. I'm like, okay. I take out my calculator, 2,500 times seven and a half dollars. I said, okay, it's gonna be, you know, anybody good at math? I'm horrible at math. But it was a lot of money. <laughs> and I said, okay, I figured you'd give me a 50% deposit check. And he gave me like a check for like 20 grand. And I was like, all right, thank you. I'll get these hats done for you in a couple weeks. <laughs> and I go back. He didn't bargain with me. I was like, I was like, ten and a half dollars. Yeah, if you bought 12. <laughs> you know? If you're going to buy 24, I could knock it down to seven, right? $2,500. Didn't even blink. And I, I think I made like, two, uh, after costing it, I think I made like $25,000 that one sale. Right? Why? Because I didn't get, I didn't get knocked down by Mary Max's rejection. I said, you know what? I have a purpose here. I got up. I got a dress. I put my stylus. If it's not Miramax, I'll go to Taxi Films. And Taxi Films led to one of my biggest sales in, 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 uh, I've ever had, right? So don't worry about, about rejection from people. Take it as an opportunity. Everything that we do, we put it inside. I have another friend, just a real quick story. He had a nonprofit organization and he had to raise, um, I think it was like $50,000 or his institution was gonna close down. And so he planned this big trip to America and he, he, he was gonna do all the big Virim and everything else. and. Um, he went on this trip and, he, and he, everybody he went to rejected him. He couldn't raise a penny. I don't know if it's just bad time, whatever it was. He came back after like 10 days and he had barely raised enough money to pay for his plane ticket and, and his rental car. And he was so broken, he went to his postage of uh, a freelander um, and, he said, and he said, listen, the, the postage told him, he says, listen, you did your status. You put in your effort to make the $50,000. Where the money's gonna come from, that's up to us, Shem. He says, but you did what you had to do. You shouldn't feel down. You shouldn't feel rejected. Come anytime. A week later, he gets a check for $50,000 from somebody unannounced that had heard about the organization and wanted to help them, and he got a check for $50,000. Like that. Right? We put in the effort. He put in the style. He didn't see the immediate success. He didn't see it was from where he wanted to come from. Right? But he put in the effort, he put his moon in Hashem, and the check came a week later from somewhere, from somewhere totally unexpected. So don't worry about rejection. Don't worry about failure. Don't let that hold you back from being successful. Right? So I want to get to another fear because I was thinking about, I, was, uh, I want to talk about another fear that I didn't put in the slide, but just fear of change. Right? What, does anybody know here? Everybody here knows the uh, famous. Um, definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. But so, why are we insane? Why do we keep doing that? Why do we keep, you know, doing things that, that make us look like like it's insanity, right? Because we're afraid to change. We're afraid to say, you know what? We did this wrong. It's not working out. We have to change, right? People again going back to that comfort zone thing. Right? If you're, if you're working your business and the way you're working it and you put in a year, you put in two years and you reach the peak of what you feel you could do and it's not working, change. Don't do it anymore. Either change directions, change the product, do something uh, different, right? Or look at yourself and say, maybe it's not for me. But people are so afraid to change, they get stuck in the same rut day in, day out, week after week, month after month, year after year, and they're not happy and they're, it's because they're afraid to take the risk, they're afraid to change something, change the name of your organization, change the name of your company, change the way you do things, change the way you market, change the way you market yourself, right? Change your product line, 
right? People are afraid to do that. People are afraid to put so much effort. Why? Because they're afraid of what people are going to say. Oh, you had to change your name. Oh, you weren't successful. Who cares what they say? We know the truth. We weren't successful because Hashem didn't want us to be successful at that time. Right? So it doesn't matter what people say. Take, make the change if you need to make a change. Just don't be insane. Don't do the same thing over and over again. Expect different results. Do something different. Hashem's telling you, I, maybe I don't want this to work this way. Do something different. Right? Or make a change. Do your stylist. And if the, if the industry and the market is saying, we don't want your product, well, then find a product that the market does want. Or I always said, I said, a stylist is not going door to door selling shoelaces. You're not going to become a millionaire selling shoelaces. You have to create a proper cleave for the chef to come into. We, right? we said Shem does not make miracles, open miracles. Obviously, just miracles happen every second. But Shem does not run the world making open miracles. So you're not going to become a millionaire selling shoelaces door to door. It's just not going to happen. If you want to do something that the bracha, that your tefillahs can be answered, you have to create the proper vessel, and whether it's a shtablis or at least a product that has more market reach than just your neighbors, right, to be successful in, you got to create that. And people also are afraid of, 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 of creating something that's too big. Think big. If you get, I think Donald Trump says this. You know, if you're gonna think, if you're gonna think big, uh, if you're gonna think, you may as well think big, right? You're gonna think anyway. You're gonna put in the effort. Think the bigger picture. People get so tied down in their neighborhood, they don't think. Well, why can't I sell to France? Why can't I sell to England? Why can't I sell to the United States or Canada or anywhere else? If you can create, if you're gonna, you only have eight hours in a day. So if you have eight hours in a day, why are you thinking so small? Unless you want to be small. Think big. Think, you know, my, my, my customers are not just the people in my neighborhood. My customers are global. It's a global world out there. Technology today, planes, trains, automobiles, right? You have everything you need to open up to a global market. So why are you just concentrating and putting your eight hours in something small when you can put it in a bigger picture? Now, it doesn't mean you should start off big. It doesn't mean that you get it, but at least create the vessel, create the system, create the perceived value. That you're big and that you're global, so you could get as you grow and you could get more customers. You don't you want someone looking at your website and saying, "Hey, I'm not giving them business; they only work locally." Why are you turning away business unless you're being so successful? You don't want more business, right? Unless you're being like the fisherman. Unless you're being like right. Unless you're being like the fisherman. And I actually say that in my book. I said some people they're happy with their small business, you know, selling uh, um, head coverings from from their uh, bedroom, you know, or from their living room, you know, a couple of nights a week. And they make extra money, and they're specifically, and that's what you want to do. That's great. But if you're entrepreneurial and you want to grow a big business, you want to be able to buy homes from your kids, I'll be there for Teva. Right? You want to be able to have the things they need. You, you have to build the proper vessel. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Shouldn't say you would build that way, but give it your best shot. Don't rely on the miracles. Build it in a way that you can. Right? Every single person here has guts to start a business, has guts to go out on their own, knows what it means to call on clients and to put yourself out there. Right? So you're not like everybody else that's looking down on you. You have that guts, you have those skills, you have that energy to do it. So if you're gonna do it, and you already have that, that, those fine points, well expand it. Give yourself the vessel, the proper vessel, so that you can be successful in a larger way. Because what if you are? And we talked, and someone mentioned about fear of success. So I, I didn't really prepare anything on that uh, per se, but you know, I don't know what that means, fear of success. What are you doing if you don't wanna be successful? Right? Or, how, or why would you have a fear of success? You're afraid they're going to have more snores coming after you? <laughs> like that's a, you know, that's a, you know, it's better that than the other way around. Right? So I don't know, I, I, just, I just, I don't relate to being fear of success because hey, every, on every test you have, everything you have to, you know, do, uh, do the best way possible. It's another phenomenon that we'll see children 
who aren't successful, they're afraid they'll get a high mark, and then their parents or their teachers will expect them to always produce at that level. It's, it's That's funny. When I, when I was in uh, high school, um, so I had they, they thought I had learned disabilities and that. So uh, in my first high school, uh, JEC and Elizabeth, right? So they, they made me take this uh, aptitude test or, you know, whatever. So I purposely failed everything. I knew all the answers, but I purposely did everything wrong. About, you know, a couple weeks later, I get called all this, oh my gosh, you have this disability. That, I had like 15 different disabilities, right? So they told the teachers, you got to take a little easier on him. He's different, you know? I gave this, the system because I didn't want the teachers bothering me and I thought it was a waste of time anyway, right? But what happened? What happened was when I ended up going to public school for about three weeks, right? And when I went to public school, I went to Passaic High, which is, I think at the time, was considered the, the lowest high school in America, okay? So when they got my transcripts and they saw these learning disabilities, they put me in the lowest level of, of, of high school that existed. So I was literally there with, with the football team, right? And I promise you, it was literally see Jane run, see Jane walk. It was literally 15 plus 3. It was the most ridiculous thing. I was... I didn't need any books. I didn't come prepared for class or anything like that. It was the biggest joke in the world. I was just acing everything. And I was doing the homework for the football players, so I had protection. You know, after, you know the, the chubby little Jewish boy, you know, we got to take care of him, you know. He's, he's doing our work for us, you know. So, but it was, um, I don't know how, how to get onto this. But, uh, fear of success. Uh, fear of success, right? So, I don't know how we got that story from that, but... <laughs> You deliberately failed because you didn't want to try to sell the Oh, right, right, all right. I purposely failed because I didn't want to be successful because then, yeah, it puts that type of pressure on you. Oh, you got you to gotta live up to, live up to those expectations. Now, first of all, school, is, it, school was the most unfair system ever made. Right, school was ridiculous. Is it fair that... I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, do we have time? Because I can keep going. Is that, I have a person... No, I don't have time. You don't have time? So it's important? I Oh. Okay, so I'll, 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 I'll try to say that. Uh, all right, so I'll try to move on. I'll try to move on the pers- uh, personal stories. I'll try to keep out for now. So let's say another another fear. Uh, another uh, another fear you have. You feel you have the lack of experience, expertise, or education, right? I didn't get a degree. I don't have. You know, I, I didn't go. I didn't take the courses I need to take. I don't have any experience in it. Well, if you don't have experience. Get the experience. Right? Getting experience, going out and doing is the best way to educate yourself. More than listening to someone else talk, go and do it. Right? When, when I wanted to learn about importing, I didn't take a course in importing. I went out and started importing. Right? And I learned about the mistakes. And I learned about the, what you need to do and, and the paperwork and, and who you need to bribe. Right? It, it, it's, these are things that they're not going to teach you in school. Right? And, and feeling like education, again, a lot of most successful entrepreneurs, including... Uh, um, uh, Bill Gates and uh, Mark Zuckerberg and other successful entrepreneurs, they dropped out of college, right? So it's, 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 you don't, feel, don't think because you don't have an education or because you don't have expertise or you don't have experience. Again, experience, get it. Uh, expertise, you only get expertise from experience. Right? It's just through the experience. Well, you can and, buy it. I'm sorry? You can pay someone for so, expertise. Yeah, for 100%. Definitely. I'm not saying you shouldn't get expertise. Sure. I'm saying it shouldn't hold you back from being successful and from moving forward. Right, that's true. If you want expertise, you can hire somebody that's been there, and that's the best thing. You get a mentor, uh, hire a business coach. Right? There's a business co- business coach here, right? So you could uh, you could definitely hire people, and you could definitely learn from other people's mistakes. And that's like the smartest thing I, I just heard. Mistake. I was, that's true for some things. You can't go and use someone else's expertise to be a doctor or a psychiatrist. 
Uh, that is that is true, right? It depends on, on your field. If you don't want to be a psychiatrist, right? It's if you if you want to be a psychiatrist, then consult a psychiatrist. If you want to run a deli, you're right. Speaking to a psychiatrist is not going to help you. You mean yeah, the steps. Right, you have to work for other people. Like you have to do uh, right super, supervision when you. Uh, depending what level we want to go into, but every industry you always can find somebody you can learn from. And I always say and in my book, I talk about always be learning. You always, there's always more you can learn, right? And uh, I was just listening to to a podcast. Uh, a guy started. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say his name, whatever. But he, he basically said a very successful multi multimillionaire, and he basically said that he that entrepreneurs should go out and and make mistakes, even if their business idea is not great. They should go out and do it. And I, and I already wrote him, and I'm sending a copy of my book. I said, that's ridiculous. I said, why should, I'm sure if his idea's not good, why should you allow him to go out and make mistakes? If you have a way to help him, if you have a way to give him your expertise, help the person so they don't make those mistakes. Right? So um, we'll see what he says about that. But um, if, you, if you're going to go out and do something, yeah, learn. Read the books. Read the magazines. Speak to experts. Uh, maybe even take an online course. Um, but don't let the lack of it hold you back. That, that was the point. Okay, we're going we're gonna to close up a little bit. Just a couple more things. Part three, a couple other stuff. Lack of focus. Right? Someone's all, you know, so a bunch of you in the room says, well, I do this, and I do that, and I do a little bit of this, and a little bit of that. Don't do that. Take something, pick something, the thing you like most, the thing that you enjoy most, the thing that you're most expertise in, and focus on that one idea. And I think I have a, a quick story about having that because I'll tell you another quick story. When I was uh, selling my promotional products and my, and my incredible items, I got this idea to go into the gift basket industry. Right? So what I do, I, I got the domain name koshergiftbaskets.com, and I built a site, and I found someone to make my gift baskets, and I went to Kosher Fest, and I had a booth, and I, did, and I got an investor, and I did this whole thing. But you know what happened? As I was getting more, well, the first thing that happened was that my regular business got ignored. My clients had been building up, weren't being taken care of, and I wasn't growing my foundational business because I was so excited about doing these gift baskets. And I launched my gift basket company um, uh, 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 with, a, with a big ad in the Jewish press, and that ad came out on Tuesday, September 12th, 2001. Guess how many gift baskets I sold? I don't know if you remember that period, but nobody was buying anything for like a month after that, right? And what happened was is that I started selling my gift basket business. It was in Rosh Hashanah, but it was a rough one. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, my, that was my first ad came out was the first Jewish Press article. Nobody was buying anything. I got one, actually someone bought a condolence basket for someone that was actually nifter in 9-11, right? But I didn't, I, I didn't sell anything. Nobody was buying it, and the world was in turmoil, right? And so not only did my old business suffer, but now my new business was suffering. And a guy calls me up, the biggest chutzpah in the world. He calls me up as we're watching the towers coming down. He says to me, he was also in the industry, he was out in, uh, I think he was out in Lakewood at the time. He says, go and buy anything you can with an American flag on it and, and sell it. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I, I said I'm not going to make money off of this. Are you kidding? He says, if you don't, someone else will. And people did. People that I know in the industry, not necessarily uh, Jewish people or from people, but there are people that went out there they made T-shirts, and I was getting reports because I was part of this, you know, franchise system that people were making ten, twenty thousand dollars a day. 
selling memorial t-shirts and 9-11 and flags. I had, uh, there, there was, you couldn't buy a flag in the Tri-State area. I had a casino that called me up and said, send me anything you have with flags. I had no flags. I couldn't get flags. It was impossible. And people were raking it in, making hundreds of thousands of dollars in the weeks that followed. But I couldn't do it. I held off. So I couldn't hold off anymore. And the, manuf the manufacturer was saying, here's a line of credit. Here's a product. Zipper pulls and dog tags and shirts and, and sweatshirts and everything. Because the manufacturer was seeing what's happening. All you can do is order and start selling. So what I do? I ignore my kosher gift basket company. And I went to the 9-11 commemorative business. Right? And I order all this stuff. And all this stuff comes to my office. And what happens the day stuff comes to my office? eBay says we are no longer allowing 9-11 commemorative stuff being sold on eBay. Because <laughs> they had, they had they, people were making mints off of this thing. And they said, we've had enough. No one to do it anymore. So, so now... Not only did I have a suffering, you know, core business, and not only did I have a suffering kosher gift basket business, but now I have I got stuff all this my learning material that I couldn't sell. Why? Because I didn't stay focused. I didn't stay focused on my original idea, my original client, my original clients. I was going to try this out and try this out and try this, and I didn't stay focused. So if you so focus is key, right? Pick something and stick with that. Build that. Don't worry about other things. Focus on, on what you want to do. And I know it's, it's pressurized because you got to make it extra more, more you got to make more money. And we're not patient enough because what the bills aren't patient. The bill, bills come every month, right? So we have to pay them every month even if we want to take six months to build a business and do it right. So how to work that out, that's another discussion. But don't make mistakes because you, don't, because you have to pay bills because you're just going to make more mistakes and find yourself in the deeper hole. And that's what happened to me. And then another reason, failure, lack of passion. You get up in the morning and you hate what you do. Right? If you hate what you do, if you're not interested in what you do, how excited are you going to get up in the morning and go to work? Right? Especially if, you're not, if, you, if your paycheck depends on your work. Right? Again, if you're going to be spending your time doing something, if you're going to be spending your time uh, uh, something, uh, uh, building a business, be it something you're passionate about. Right? If, you, if you hate little kids... Don't open up a gun. <laughs> it's just not going to work. You're not going to be successful. Right? So whatever it is you do choose to do, whatever it is you do want to focus on, right? be passionate about it. Right? If you're going to be spending time, and that's why I said I love what I do. I, I, I hate taking vacations. I can't just sit still and relax. I love the passion. I love the work. I love the customers. I love the speaking. I love talking to other entrepreneurs out there. I love it. I'm passionate about it. So I get up every morning and I do it. And I'm excited. I'm excited about using my creativity. I'm excited about marketing. I'm excited about my partners and my investors and, and everything. I just love it. It's fantastic. Right? So I'm not, I don't feel like it's work. Right? So whatever it is you choose to do, make sure it's something you're passionate about because then you'll, that, that you'll achieve much greater success. Ah! Look like a boss. Anyway, that was the end pretty much of the presentation. This could relate to some people. I just wanted, you know, I wouldn't be a real entrepreneur if I wasn't going to pitch you on something. Right? So this is my new company, booklikeaboss.com. Right? Check it out. Basically, it's for people that are uh, a masseuse, that's a masseuse or a therapist or a coach or a business coach or a life coach. Right? Basically, I created a platform. What happened was that I saw that people were, um, I, I had a need. Even though I had a website, people would come to me all the time for advice. But I said, I wish there was a website I could send them to that says, this is who I am, these are the products I offer, and here is my, and you can buy that service now, right? And it didn't exist. You could do it with WordPress and with Wix, and you could build it and try it, but there's no easy system. With this software, in 10 minutes, you could be up and running, selling your services, 
taking PayPal or taking Stripe credit card, you know, credit cards through Stripe. You can be, you can have all your services outlined nicely. It's basically LinkedIn, but for this new age. Um, it's what LinkedIn should have been, right? LinkedIn, you go there, you check out somebody, but well, how do I take that relationship to the next level? Here, you can build a page, people can check you out, and they can see what you offer, and they can book you. It has a built-in calendar, so you can book appointments, right? It has facts, check it out, booklikeaboss.com. Um, uh, we're, we're doing a full launch. We're doing actually, in about a week, we're doing a, a launch to what we say our first 100 people, and then uh, afterwards, we're gonna go after the thousands, I hope, but it's, uh, it's coming. I, I would love your feedback on it as entrepreneurs, and I think actually it be very beneficial for a lot of people in this room. And then, of course, my book, you get it here, 80 shekel, which is uh, under store price and cash, credit card, whatever it is. I hope you, uh, you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you enjoyed the lecture. Anybody that would like to leave, you're more welcome here. Come on! Thank you for listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with Nahum Kligman. We hope you learned something valuable and will share this with your friends. For show notes, archives of previous episodes, and more information to help you start and grow your business, please visit our website, www.fromentrepreneur.com. Listen, learn, be Masliak.